Okay, right, that's perfect. Mr. Magnolia has only one boot. He has a big trumpet that goes rooty toot. (laughs) Have to keep that in. Ah, right. Shall we begin? Yes. Good evening, John. Good evening, Rob. Uh, Welcome to episode 35 of the North v South podcast, a podcast about but not about design. Yeah, and and obviously not not about consistency either, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Why? What what have I done now? No, no, no. I I like our uh, our pavement lo-fi approach to, to podcasting. Yeah, me too. Uh, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah? Yeah. Excellent. How was bath time? Uh, frenetic. Well, just clarify, that's your daughter's bath time. Yeah. <laughs> I do like oh, to be clean before yeah, I podcast. So it was, it's like imperial leather ads with the... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, it, yeah, lively, as good. ever. Um, very good, thank you. And um, yeah, pie in the oven. Yep bring up my screens with all my bits on i'm totally unprepared this week that's what i am unprepared this week unprepared so yeah what have we been doing um had a bit of a tidy up of the office today everything was driving me mad uh obviously having two dogs in here it just gets so dusty and hairy and yucky uh so i had a big clean this morning so i've done Uh half the room (laughs) and uh i've got a, a sofa that used to be our old sofa uh, behind me um, and we're going to get rid of that because I've got a load of stuff coming in You've soon. got some new kit arriving haven't you? I have yes um, new printing and uh, sort of production stuff coming in Very exciting Yeah. So are you going to set up like a, a little workbench where the sofa was? Exactly yeah just get some trestle legs from Ikea and yep. one of their worktops and put it on but, there for now uh, not, not going for the OSB <laughs> not this time um i might yeah i might do a later date when we when we sort the garage into a studio but for yeah. now it's got to be temporary and the door's got to open so it's got to be yeah. fairly small but uh yeah so i bought i've bought some um some uh, i've bought a nice large format printer well I say large format it's sort of medium format <laughs> yeah you're not going to be printing any billboards <laughs> no and um uh and a trimmer a, a Dala, Dali, D- Dale. Dala, I'd have said. Dala, yeah, that oh, one. You, you, you know German better than me. Um, so, uh, yeah, I got one of those on eBay, a reconditioned one. So I'm well cool. happy with that, having been quoted by by a UK maker for 500 quid. That's just astronomical. And we're just talking about the kind of guillotines you'd have at sort of comprehensive school. You know, the little rotary slide across. Exactly, a rotary trimmer. Who would yeah. have thought they were... 500 quid. Yeah, the really good ones, rotor trim. They're meant to be the best. Sheffield steel yeah. jobbies. Made, I think they're made in Nottingham. Uh, they are world-renowned for being the best. Uh, but sadly, budget wouldn't... <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the German manufacturing of it's, uh, yeah, rotary trimmers is fine. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. I can't believe it. This, this is the show that talks about rotary trimmers. Um <laughs> That there probably yeah. is a podcast uh, dedicated to rotary trimmers. I'm feeling quite. I'm, I was quite happy though because the guy who was selling it um, got in touch with me as soon as it sold and said, uh, "Made a mistake on the description." I thought, well, "Here we go." And then he said, "Oh no, it's the it's the larger model size." I said, "Well," and he said, uh, "Would you still want it?" I was like, "Yeah, all right. Sounds like a bargain to me." Yeah, uh, eighty quid I got it for on eBay, and Fantastic. it's been reconditioned by um, Dala. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And it's it's what, A1? Yeah, it's A1. So it will cut a, A1 width and then any length. Um, yeah. So, yes. Very exciting. And then, yeah, the printer will turn up in the next week or so. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, we can talk about a bit about that later in our topic, really, this week. Um, selling yourself, selling work, how to sell, where to sell, what to sell. Yeah. So we'll have a good chat about that. So you say you just set up your Mac again. What happened to you then? So last week, just after we'd done the podcast, I was doing um, a bit of freelance design work and my Mac just started getting really, really sluggish. And then particularly copying and pasting between applications was, it was just hanging all the time. And I thought it might be this, you know, continuity, this new Mac OS thing where you can like copy and paste something from your Mac and you can then paste it on your iPhone. So I thought it might be that, just slowing things down over the network. Um, so I turned that off and it was just no better. And then it just started hanging all the time. And I went through uh, everything, you know, disk utility and then uh, wiping it clean, starting up in internet modes, reinstalling the OS, reformatting the hard drive. And everything kind of seemed to work. And I reinstalled everything from my time machine backup. So I haven't lost anything, just time. Um, but then it wouldn't work, just again same problems just hanging whenever you try to actually do something so i took it into apple and it turned out the actual the hard drive had failed but because i've got a mac with a fusion drive which is part solid state drive and part hard drive the solid state bit with the os on it was fine so it was still able to boot up it was still able to do diagnostics just couldn't do any work um and then um I remembered that there'd been a, an issue with some of the Fusion drives, so I mentioned it when I took it into Apple. And after saying they were going to charge me 240 quid to replace it, they did it for free, which is a bit of a result. Um, so I picked it up this morning, um, and then I realised I couldn't do all my backup from Time Machine because it was going to take probably about 15 hours. So I've got almost nothing on my Mac at the minute. Um, just trying to... Luckily, all everything's backed up to iCloud, in terms of logins and everything, apart from Skype. So kind of all my uh, uh, base camp stuff and favourites and pocket, you know, everything for the podcast is fine. So, But it's quite nice having a, a, a Mac that's got zilch on it, you know, runs nice and quick and it's, you know, there's no extraneous muck on it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have to think carefully about how, when I restore it, how I restore it. Um, I might just migrate certain bits of data um, and then maybe just get an extra external hard drive for additional backup and stuff. So. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, got to figure that out. Yeah, backup. Mm. you not got an external drive for backup then? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've got two. Uh. Um, but I want... One's just Time Machine Backup, which is obviously kind of a weird backup system. Um, and then I've got another one, which I periodically copy work onto. Um, but I think I'm going to go Backblaze and get a separate hard drive for that, and plus my Time Machine Backup. And, you know, make sure it's all safe. It always, get, I mean, even though I knew my Time Machine was Time Machine Backup was fine, it's still hairy as hell when you have to wipe your computer's drive and start again yeah i've heard quite a lot of cases of um people who have that 
the Apple backup drive. Is that, are they still making that time? Yeah, they do. Yeah. <clears throat> where it just fails and doesn't even report a failure. So mm. they think that, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. You never assume that your backup's ever working. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> quite often I've got one. My my second drive is has failed. Um, yeah. So uh, I just haven't had time to sort it out. It's a little RAID one. So yeah. you know, two hard drives joined together. Something's gone wrong with it. I haven't had time, but I've got another RAID one in under the stairs doing the same thing. Yeah. So uh, I'm not that bothered by it. And then I've got Backblaze and then I've got Time Machine. Yeah. And I've also got uh, Backblaze, which is brilliant. Black, Backblaze. What's. Yeah. 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 So Backblaze okay. is online. So uh, it will, it's a remote service. It doesn't, you don't cool. run it on a external yeah, drive, yeah. but it will, any external drives that are attached to your machine will back up as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's really, really super handy. And it took about three weeks, I think all in all to back up really? everything. Yeah. <laughs> but you just, you know, it, it, I just limited it to a certain amount of data a day. Yep. Or you can just go, okay, open up, the, <laughs> open up the taps and then go on holiday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then go on holiday or, um, just expect to your, 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 uh, unlimited, broadband providers to say uh yeah there is a limit yeah absolutely um, yeah but so that's it's been um interesting it was pretty stressful because i'd work that i needed to send off to a client on friday afternoon and couldn't do that so i had to uh, struggle to get the data off my machine and then use steph's um laptop to finish it off yeah um but yeah all sorted well just <clears throat> jolly good and uh, another work wise you've been busy with inktober yeah i'm kind of looking forward to that being over so that i can kind of concentrate on kind of what's next which is what we're going to come on to later about you know selling work okay inktober has been brilliant for me in certain respects in terms of um you know people seeing my work it's been kind of bonkers particularly instagram um but it's not profitable so the next step has to be to try and monetize that upsurge in followers i've got on instagram did you just say monetize an upsurge in the same sentence yeah have you been watching apple like live events or something oh i did watch a bit of that actually. oh god it's very boring oh my god it the, when did they be oh, i think it's always been that bad but that was just turgid and so up its own alleyway i I cannot get over it it's like going into an apple store for me i hate going into apple stores yeah it's so culty yeah it's a shame that there's no alternative because i'd probably use that it's like adobe isn't it i have to use adobe because there's no alternative um but yeah i i I love i love apple products but i hate the whole culture (laughs) that's lost us a few listeners isn't it um yes and what have i been doing I, i have been you didn't even ask, but I'm going to tell you. Go for it. Uh, I'm finishing, just trying to finish off lots of projects. It's the 27th, isn't it? Uh, so I want yep. to get invoices done and dusted. Um, I've got quite a few large jobs that need to get off the uh, off onto into their accounts departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm mindful of getting all the work done for that. Um, and I've got lots of new ones coming in. So I'm sort of dealing with that kind of negotiation side and discovery. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, with feeling. Yeah, should be should be more uh, more enthusiastic about it than I than I am. 
Well, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because it can be tedious. Yeah, I think the one of the biggest things is um, is the fact that I'm not actually working on it at the moment, but it's assumed that I am working on it. If you see what I mean. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you know, I actually you know asking for design feedback when I'm actually not actually working on the project project. Uh, that that's a big disconnect, isn't it, between with clients with uh, between actually you know paying for your time and your advice and getting all the free stuff. Yeah, um, and there's got to come. There, there has to be a time where you say no more, and uh, you know we need to st- you need to start paying me now because I'm actually doing the work. Uh, and I think a lot of designers miss that point. Yeah, um, and it it can be really hard to do, especially when you don't know the person and you don't know the relationship. But um, that's what I was saying about last week where it had gone silent. But um, I came back on stream and I got the job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like I was going to do a catch up of the. I never said, did I? The experiment that I did where I yes. didn't do a. Uh, I haven't told um, this on the show, but I've told you, haven't I, Rob? Yeah. I think I told. Yeah. yeah. So I did an experiment with a small client. Came along, asked for a logo. And I had massive suspicions and also some other people that I knew uh, warned me about the person that uh, had approached me. So I thought, okay, well, it's just a, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm not going to do a contract and I'm not going to do a deposit and we're going to go by trust. And what do you think happened, Rob? Well, I assume uh, it ran like clockwork and he's paid you for all the work you did. (laughs) Nope. Yeah, no. Uh, Um. Yep, changed his mind about uh, ch- they changed their mind about the name of the company. Apparently, you know, and so that you know, obviously, therefore, the work I'd done didn't have any value. Um, and then promised but to come he paid back. you for that work you'd done, yeah? No. Oh, yeah, because I hadn't got a deposit. I just thought, yeah. well, you know, it's not worth to me. It was like it was me doing a couple of hours of sketching, That's, and I only gave him sketches, uh, so yeah. uh, it wasn't like um, I'd done any work. I just I did it as an experiment, so it was a lost yeah. leader. Have you looked uh, him up? He hasn't actually um, used those <coughs> sketches as a logo, has he? Uh, no, because the name is. I don't yeah. even know if he started the business, um, and then he was going to come back to me with other stuff, and I said you have to pay me first and then i've never yeah. heard anything from him since oh, um, but it just yeah it just goes to show if you don't get a deposit and you don't get a contract uh or you know or one of the other uh then you are <laughs> going to get ripped off at some point yeah. um so do it <laughs> i mean yeah, i was smugly absolutely. saying that because it was an experiment and it went exactly the way i wanted it to do yeah well we've we've had uh we've had our thoughts um confirmed uh, better to be safe than sorry really absolutely but it's that tricky bit isn't it about where you where the kind of prep for taking on a client ends and the, the actual job itself begins um steph has the same thing with um brides you know they contact her and they ask her for ideas and and it's uh, you know maybe a pinterest board and and it's kind of where you say <clears throat> i can't really do any more work until you've paid a deposit yeah. And it's, I think particularly in sort of the wedding industry, it's quite difficult because, you know, you, you want to give them a really sort of warm and friendly experience um, rather than sort of a cold and business-like experience. So those sort of delineations are trickier. I, th- I think they are if they, if they feel tricky in your own head. Um, mm. But I, I, would, I would say, you know, the, yeah, any kind of mood boardy kind of discovery stage is I would want the deposit for yeah. not, not for flowers, obviously, you know, but for me, for me, it's, you it's, haven't it's, started doing flowers, have you? 
Yeah. Oh, oh. Steph's flowers for your wedding today are absolutely amazing. A riot of colour. They look yeah, wicked. Cool. Wicked. Um, but sorry, off off piece there. But the um, yeah, I, I I would I wouldn't even go that far. You know, I would just say right here's some ones I've done previously. Blah blah blah. And then uh, and then that's yeah. part of the work, isn't it? Because that's yeah. when you're getting paid. Uh, you know, a taxi wouldn't. Um, wouldn't start the clock when you <laughs> got to the cash point machine to get the cash for them, would they? Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, what else have you been up to? Uh, well, at the weekend, so we were going into London to meet some friends for breakfast, which we did. Um, and we went to the National Gallery. Um, so I took Steph to uh, to gaze at Whistlejacket for a little bit. And we went and uh, I swooned over Joseph Wright of Derby's an experiment on a bird in an air pump, which is one of my favourite paintings. Um, and we went <laughs> you, and looked... Sorry? <laughs> Have you seen that one? No, obviously not. It's, uh, you probably recognise it. It's called An Experiment on a Bird in the Air Pump, and it's an uh, Industrial Revolution painting. Is that an early version of the Aeropress? Yes, very similar. Um, and it's a crowd of people all uh, around this kind of scientific apparatus while someone demonstrates producing a, a vacuum with uh, a cockatoo in a bell jar but the light is just astonishing it's an amazing painting yeah, I, right. I don't really know of anything else joseph Wright darby painted but uh, that's just incredible <clears throat> um and then we went to see uh someone um told us on twitter i can't remember who it was um about the george shaw exhibition at the national and I know George Shaw's work from, who was nominated for the Turner Prize in 2011, painting kind of suburban um, scenes of Coventry, like lock-up garages and the brick walls of an end terrace and you know, really urban stuff. But he paints everything in humbral enamel paint and it gives everything a real weird light to it. Um, but he's, he's like an artist in residence at the National um, until I think until the end of this month and he's produced a series of paintings called My Back to Nature and it's it's almost like these little bits of woods woodland that you get really close to urban centres so they're the sort of woodlands that are used by teenagers and drug addicts and drunks and things and you find all the kind of detritus um, lying around and he compares those areas to the scenes you'd see in classical painting of um, of like Greek nymphs partying in the woods or Bacchus or satires um, you know with their horns of plenty <coughs> um, and he said you know if you removed those figures from those paintings and all that was left behind with some sort of empty flagons of wine and torn bits of cloth it's very similar to these kind of urban or suburban woodlands uh, and his paintings are just phenomenal really really incredible the light is is astonishing well, i don't know if how much of it is the the medium and how much of it is just the way he paints but really really worth going to it's only it's only on for another couple of days um and there was a brilliant little uh video that accompanied the the show which was him talking to one of the uh, the curators at the gallery about his work and how he works and just fantastic really nice guy as well brilliant stuff so well worth going to see uh should we have a bit of news yeah <laughs> <clears throat> uh 
I'll follow that with um, one that was sent to me by Jessica Ellerman. Uh, who's she? Who's that? Uh, it's a story in uh, on the BBC. I think it was on Radio 4, actually, today <clears throat> programme that she heard, uh, and it's been all over the news. But um, uh, an artist has reimagined Gin Lane by um, William Hogarth, which is one of the classic pairs of uh, engravings that he did. Engravings? They are engravings, aren't they? Uh, prints uh, anyway yes uh, of beer lane and gin lane that were yeah. um, made in mid 18th century um, uh, and gin lane was a sort of uh, a picture if you haven't seen it uh, of sort of utter social breakdown uh, caused by um, excess gin drinking in london town um, and this chap has uh, this chap thomas moore has recreated one for um based upon uh obesity uh and it's for the national well the foundling museum yeah it was for the well i can't find anything on the foundling museum the more i get into doing news and stuff the more i realize that uh, people's news feeds are just full of discrepancies and bad facts um but i i think he he did it for um the RSPH, which is the Royal Society of Pu- for Public Health, um, okay. and is celebrating 160 years. But I think it's been driven by him, and I don't know whether the um, the news items are driven by him or by by yeah. the RSPH. But um, he's a young artist who I would say is a lot like the I can't remember the name of the artist, but he was. Do you remember the Tom Sharp novels? Yes. Uh, Wilt, Wilt and yeah. Porterhouse Blues was yeah. um, it's the artist that used to do the covers for those. So okay. Steve Bell like, um, yeah. and and his his style is like that. Um, so he sp- apparently spent many months putting together these, um, this new version of it. Um, but uh, quite quite interesting to look at. Um, I, I it just sort of takes me on to the, the how good the originals were, how it can sort of tell it, how it tells a story about. Um, 18th century London, which for me is one of the most fascinating parts of that you know, yeah, city's I don't history. Think, I, I don't think I ever knew it was it was a pair. You know, I knew about Gin Lane, but I don't think I must have heard of Beer Street or seen it, but I never put the two together. Well, I'm going to come back to it later because I've got a piece on uh, on the bit that you're presenting yeah, yeah. later. Yeah. Uh, interesting that. Um. I saw a bit, um, I think, on It's Nice That, which is about um, Somerset House, um, which is the kind of gallery space in London, the old Inland Revenue buildings by the Thames. Um, and they have some artist studios, um, and they called Somerset House Studios. Um, and it says connecting 300 artists on Somerset House's website, but then it only talks about like 100 studios and then it talks about another 25 new artists so basically they're uh, they're making available uh, a number of artist studios and studio space to young artists uh, and it's they're subsidizing the rent to kind of you know uh, allow young upcoming artists somewhere to work um and i think they're going to kind of support them with helping them collaborate, um, promoting their work, uh, perhaps uh, encouraging um, 
commissioning editors or commissioners of art or illustration or creative work to look at the studios who are to look at the artists who are, are renting these spaces um i think it's a really nice thing to do i think it's something that a lot of cities should be doing maybe they are but i think encouraging and helping young artists to work in a city center rather than them you know being priced out um to the suburbs is a really important thing for the kind of creative health of a of a place um and talking of studios it always reminds me of um the studios on talgarth road do you know the ones uh, St. Paul Studios on Talgarth Road near Hammersmith. Are those the ones that, if you're driving up uh, west yes. into and You see the Harrods. big old windows. Yeah, I love those yeah. places. I used to um, dream dream of those when my dad used to pick us up uh, yeah. for, the, for the weekends to go up we, to London. We drive past them quite a lot. And they were built in, there's only eight of them. And they were built in, the eight, I think, 1890 or 1891. Um, they kind of arts and craftsy style uh brick buildings quite ornate these huge glass arched windows in the studio spaces on the first floor um and they're just remarkable um and there's only a couple of them are still in kind of this the original state with the the double height um studio spaces intact most of them have kind of had mezzanines put in and they've been chopped up um and they're just, I think they're just remarkable. I was talking to Steph today saying, if I won the Euro Millions, I'd kind of like a replica built <laughs> so I could have it as my studio. Hmm. Yeah, I, I have to, I, I think it's a really good thing that Somerset House are doing here. And I, and I really, I, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, there's so much city centre space and offices that are just not being used <clears throat> that could yeah. be converted over to not just the creative industry, but all kinds of, uh, applications for young people who want to stay and live in cities because we're just yeah. for, you know they're just being forced out economically um and i think that somerset house is well positioned enough for you know kids from outside of london south especially in the you know south of uh, of england to get in quite quickly yeah um and and it's really reasonable isn't it it's like 100 quid for a desk a is month. that how much it is i didn't yeah, I just i found the price i was looking for the prices um yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, 325 for a studio, and as excluding that, and then um, if you want a vaulted uh, floor, which is 300-odd square feet, uh, it's 500 plus VAT. That's not too bad at which all, would, really, is Which it? out here would might buy you a barn with no electricity or internet connection. <laughs> yeah. So I have to say that's an amazing opportunity yeah. if you are, especially if you're like a small creative team. You know, yeah. and you, you just come out of university. Yeah, there's two or uh, three of you in a place like that. It's just yeah. fantastic. And check it. You should definitely check it out because working in there is, is going to be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Inspiring place to work. Yeah. Um, I read some sad news. Uh, we'll just uh, briefly touch on this one. The creator of Preacher died at the weekend. Yeah. Um, Steve Dillon, uh, which is very sad to, to hear. Um I think it was announced by his brother, Glyn Dillon. I, I think yes. they're, they're actual brothers, aren't they? Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, who wrote this something of Now, The Tower of Now? Have you read uh, that I don't one? know. Uh, no, I don't know. Pretty good artist, as, uh, you know. Um, but, yeah, this guy was a classic, wasn't he? One of the Hellraiser 
um, ex 2000 and AD bods who went over to New York and really shook up comics. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, we've talked about the fact that I haven't read um, Preacher, but he was one of my favorite Judge Dread artists. I think his work was amazing, you know, on the back of kind of Steve McMahon and Brian Bolland. Um, I think Steve Dillon just just drew a beautiful kind of gritty Judge Dread. I think he was amazing. You've got something arriving. <laughs> Can you hear that? <laughs> That's the pie going in the uh, in the oven. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's very sad. So, um, and uh, I don't know. He's quite young. Um, yeah, he's only fifty-four, isn't he? So yeah, I'm sadly uh, curtailed. Uh, uh, an amazing artist. So yeah. um, yes, uh, if I had a flag, it would be at half mast. Absolutely. I should, I should put a comic halfway down the bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bit of tech news. Uh, Twitter is killing off Vine. Um, so Twitter's little six second video sharing platform, which garnered, I think, quite a lot of fans and um, press over the few years that it's been going. Um, it's been ki- uh, killed off. So Twitter is reducing its cost and it's cutting quite a lot of its workforce. I think a lot of people see it as a prelude to it being sold. Um, and one of the, the fatalities is, is Vine, which I kind of used on and off, um, usually for things like time lapses of drawing, which it was quite a cool little medium for. Um, and it got quite a few sort of uh, views on there. Um, but I know a lot of people used it really well. Uh, Musa Lane, uh, who's a, an amazing tweeter uh, and artist, um, used it a lot. He used to do little funny little clips and short little animations, really clever stuff. Um, so I imagine he's going to be a bit gutted that it's closing, as will many. I think, I think a lot of people have made their name on Vine. Um so it's strange. I don't know if it's a victim of Snapchat or Facebook's kind of uh, live video thing that they do now, or um, Instagram. I've got it. Stories. Instagram. I've got it. And Pe- uh, <clears throat> Periscope do the live video stuff. Well, they, they, Periscope were the ones to lead with it, weren't they? And then it was, wasn't it that um, Twitter were going to kill them, kill them off with their with their Vine thing? Is that right? Or is Periscope's um, part of Twitter as well? No, I think Periscope came after. Vine, right? Um, but I don't know. There are, you know, there's a lot of different formats competing for the same audience. I guess. I mean, Twitter's um, a disaster, isn't it, at the moment? We've, we've talked about well, this. You know, it's it's not a disaster for me because I like the way it works and it works for me, and I enjoy Twitter and the community that I follow. Um, but I guess as a business, it's just not making any money. But there again, I can't comprehend what they're spending their um, capital on because I don't know. It doesn't seem to have um, fundamentally changed since they launched it. I think it's just bandwidth, isn't it? Can't be just bandwidth, can it? I I imagine YouTube's, imagine YouTube's bandwidth. Yeah, but they they own their own infrastructure, don't they? Yeah, I guess so. I don't, you know, I think I imagine Twitter are screaming, you know, getting that up, but uh, you know, Google's infrastructure is based on driving their, 
advertising yeah. thing. But Twitter doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have anything, no. does it? I wonder if it's going to go away, Twitter. I, you know, and whether it will just go go pop. Well, I imagine someone's going to buy it at some point, um, and then they'll try and use its customer base to sell things, won't they? Or you know, make money from advertising in a way that Twitter can't. And then it just depends whether that um, annoys the users. And if it does, they'll drift off somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they were showing a new product Twitter were on um, on uh, the Mac thing. I don't yeah. know in the background. Wild, wildly underwhelming. Yeah. Well, the whole thing was wildly underwhelming, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, talking of new tech stuff then, um, on the same day that Apple <coughs> launches a load of new products that are really dull, um, and I think that top strip bar that has been well... Um, you know, telegraphed by yeah. uh, people like um, Daring Fireball and etc., um, which I just think you're going to end up not never using. It will be just like yeah. the function key. Um, I Microsoft um, have launched a new product today called Microsoft Surface Studio, and it looks really interesting. It's a, um, as I love to say, that's my catchphrase. Uh, it's a, a Cintiq style. Um, screen. Uh, so imagine a hybrid between the iMac and uh, and a Cintiq. So it will fold down from the iMac into a desktop kind of um, drawing board. Um, comes with a pen, um, and I imagine it's an absolute screamer um, if you are an artist of some sort. Yeah, I think the the specs look incredible, don't they? But I think it's it's quite a niche product, isn't it? Because it's big. It's twenty eight inch. It's a twenty eight inch screen. Is it? So it's it's monumental. Yeah. Um, so it's only going to really appeal to professionals with a bloody big desk. <laughs> um, I think also drawing at that size is is it's large, isn't it? It is. But the thing with like a you you can get a twenty seven twenty seven inch HD Cintiq um, touchscreen monitor, which lots and lots of artists use, comic artists. Uh, illustrators and they use them but that comes with like a, a clamp that fits to your desk with a pivot so that it's kind of, you know you can twist and turn the whole screen to suit kind of what you're drawing on in the same way that you turn a bit of paper if you're drawing a curve in a particular way you're not going to be able to do that with a surface studio so you're going to have to work out how you twist the the screen and stuff actually they introduced a little bit of tech to go with it didn't they like a a little bezel which if you've got the screen upright, the bezel sits on your desk and you can turn it and it will perform certain functions. But when oh, you've right. got the screen flat, you can put this bezel on the screen and turn it and it works like a contextual device. So if you're painting, it might be your color palette or you can alter the size of your brush or you can use it to turn the, the drawing area. Oh, right. So it's like an editing wheel, is it? Like yeah, a, exactly yeah, okay. like that. But yeah. you actually place it on the screen. Oh. Uh, and it does look very funky. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's a really clever, innovative bit of tech. But I think it's quite niche. And like you said in the notes, it just depends on how well everything works. Yeah. I just, uh, my stepfather bought a. Um, I managed to make him, uh, uh, stop him from making an enormous mistake. He was going to buy an iPad Pro to run. Right. Uh, to run AutoCAD on and after a long 
a repetitive conversation about the fact that AutoCAD <laughs> won't run on an iPad because yeah. it doesn't run Apple. He was like, yeah, but it runs, uh, AutoCAD runs on Apple. No, it doesn't run on iOS anyway. Uh, so that was, that was long and tedious, but he, uh, he ended up buying a Surface Pro. Okay. Um, and he showed it to me and I, I kind of, Jessica told me off for being really rude, but I kind of looked at it and I was like, yeah, okay. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bring any excitement. It looks like a computer, which I know sounds crazy, but doesn't make it a tactile, desirable object. And then you turn it on and it's running Windows. And it just, I find it just so depressing. It really, yeah. <laughs> really well, the depressing. Whole thing that, that Apple and Johnny Ive said about the, the phone and the iPad is that they want it to become invisible, don't they? So you're, you just work without noticing anything. Uh, it's almost as if the, the screen doesn't exist. Yeah, um, and I guess you don't get that with a, a Microsoft Surface. No, and the pen, the pen was is is really not nice. You wouldn't like it. Um, yeah, it's it, it's not like the pencil, which feels substantial. Uh, yeah, there's it's got moving bits on it, so like the nib moves in and out. So it's more like a Wacom mm. um, thing. Um, but talking about transparent, uh, that gets me onto another story, um, which is kind of crazy. There was some crazy talk on, uh, I think it was through Daring Fireball this, but um, uh, um, this guy, uh, Scoble is his name. Yeah. I remember him banging on about, uh, he was he was the guy who took a photograph of himself in a shower wearing um, the Google glasses. And he was you know, saying that this is the future, man. Because <laughs> everyone who wears glasses wears them in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, he's a bit of a provocateur, isn't he? Yes, and I think this life. is this is very tongue in cheek. But he was saying that the, you know the next the next iPhone is going to be uh, completely transparent. <laughs> it's weird. It, the, the article is a bit like one of these kind of uh, futurism pieces that tech guys do about you know what's what's tech going to look like in five years or ten years, and it reads like that, doesn't it? Yeah, but it doesn't have any sense of the fact that it's being ironic or no. or any sense whether it's trying to be truthful. So it yeah. ends up just sounding like a dick. <laughs> yeah. Sadly. Um, and a lot of the predictions he's making uh, just seem to link to uh, interviews or articles that he's written in the past. Oh, uh, right. So it's like, you know, the eye sensors will bring a new kind of interface. Uh, for more on that, see the interview I did with the founder of iFluence. <laughs> which sounds like something gastric <laughs> um but yeah it's a bizarre bizarre article um perhaps he'd been drinking heavily before he wrote it <laughs> um and we'll do a quick uh, my last bit of news is a is a quick um weekly kickstarter rant um which nick barber spudlington um pointed out to his birth uh and it's some designer from pentagram he's reimagining um the composition book, which is apparently a, an American design classic, and I kind of recognize it, is a black and white notebook with um, like a monochrome marbled front. Um, and it's just very utilitarian. I think it's French um, historically. Uh, and he's decided that um, he's going to bring it up to date by using, you know, the finest available processes, materials, and design. Um, and I've got no quibbles with anyone wanting to, you know, revamp a design classic. But it is the language, and this is really typical of Kickstart stuff. And I blame Johnny Ive and his uh, softly intoned product videos for for this completely. Um, for instance, he talks about the, the marbling pattern 
on this book. And he says, a beautiful, unique, custom, I can't do Johnny I's voice, custom marbled cover pattern. It's a bit like um, who's the posh cook that talks sexily about things? Nigella. Nigella Lawson. So it's a beautiful, unique, custom marbled cover pattern optimized to balance light and dark perfectly with every shape in the pattern individually placed for a unified look throughout. And it's that bit, every shape in the pattern individually placed for a look throughout. Well, that is the biggest load of bollocks. I mean, it just makes me really angry. This, this language is just all over Kickstarter stuff. Um, and it's really irritating and it is arrogant to, to use these adjectives about a product you're designing that you're so sure is going to be a hit that you're having to crowdfund it. Um, yes, it just annoys me. It's a bugbear, <clears throat> a pet hate. Well, um, I, I'd, re- I'd read it the day before Nick, Nick posted it and I just, and I kind of went, huh? I, I didn't, you know, it kind of invokes history and then doesn't explain anything about wh- how it was historical, what it yeah. means. What is a comp book? For, for Start with no, that. Yeah. What is a comp? I, yeah. I don't know. It just looks like a notebook to me. Um, but the, the other crazy thing is he wants $79,500. Stu, I didn't even look at how much he wants. <laughs> it's already halfway there, so it'll probably be funded. Um, yeah. But, I, I, you know, yeah, I love the, you know, I like the design. I wouldn't use it myself. I find it is too pretentious. Um, mm. But the whole, that's that's what it is. It's just pretentious. It's making up stuff about stuff that it doesn't have any weight to it whatsoever. Just say, yeah. I've made a really cool notebook. It's really nice. Can I fund it? Can, can you help me fund it? You know, that's what field notes do. And they tell little stories about each one. Um, yeah. Just don't, you know, fill in the gaps. Just let people decide whether they want it they like it and and that individually placed it if you haven't seen it it looks like you know imagine the old televisions before they were plugged into an aerial that's exactly. what it looks like so yeah. if you if he's placed in every single one of those yeah, shapes exactly. apparently he has right wow yeah. but i think we should do we should do an episode on um sort of personal pet hates um and bugbears i got um isn't that every coffee. week? <laughs> <laughs> I got a coffee at uh, Grounded in St. Margaret's today uh, and a sandwich, and it came with a sandwich on top of the napkin, right. which makes me, like, steam come out of my ears. Why give me a napkin and then put it underneath the food? Oh. I'm actually clenching my fists in, in memory of that moment now. So, yeah, we should do a pet hate one. Wow. Um, so our main topic tonight is how to sell your work. Um, and this is, applies to both of us, I guess. So with me, it's very much about how I market myself as an illustrator and how I sell products. What product do I sell? How do I market it? Where do I sell it? How do I price it? Um, and it's probably more a series of questions than, than answers. Um, but it's it's got relevance for you because obviously, you know, we're talking about the new uh, kit that you're buying. Um, you know, you're going to start playing around with some, creating some products, aren't you? Yeah. That you're going to need to sell. Yeah. Um, so the first, I guess the first thing for me is what do I sell? So at the minute as an illustrator, a few commercial um, commissions and then most of the other stuff I do is 
private commissions. So I offer, you know, two or three kind of topics, robots, spaceships, weird landscapes or things, at a flat price, and I sell the original artwork. Um, and I tweet that out, and I have it on my blog and Facebook. Um, and it's great. I get to draw things that I generally like drawing for a price that is kind of okay for how much time I spend on them. But it's not, there's no way I can produce enough commissions um, simply because of the hours in the day to make a living doing that. So commercial work is better because it pays a lot more per piece. Um, so I have to think, how can I make money from those pieces repeatedly? So you think prints. So I've got to produce prints. So how do I get pre- prints produced? Do I produce them myself? Um, do I find someone who's just invested a lot of money in a printer and a, a German rotary trimmer uh, to work on that for me? Do I go and get prints produced by a you know a digital print company that can do stuff on kind of really good quality papers? Um, and then kind of market that, produce, uh, you know, put them on a website or a, an online store. And then obviously I'd package them up, mail them out to customers. Um, and there are alternatives to that. One of them is a, a company called Society6, which is huge and lots and lots of really good artists sell their stuff on. And they, they're one of these companies that you upload an image <clears throat> or a design and then they will you can pick a different number of products and they mock it up on those products and put it on their website and they can sell it and you get a proportion of the their proceeds. And they will do it on just a, a vast array of products. So they'll produce prints, uh, postcards, uh, T-shirts, badges, mugs, iPhone cases, pillows, shower curtains, dressing gowns, art prints, tapestries, wallpaper, yoga pants, tote bags, bookmarks, um, and that's not a full list. Um, the problem with that is you get a tiny return on each product. So on a twenty-four dollar T-shirt, you get two dollars forty. So it's terrible. You know, to make any kind of money, you need to be selling a lot of things. But the bonus is. You've got no outlay. You've got no risk. Uh, you don't have to do any fulfillment. Um, so it allows. It's almost as if you you can you know maybe once or once a month or once every couple of months you upload a few new images, tick some boxes, and they'll start selling them. Um, and I guess if you've got enough of a following on social media, all you need to do is occasionally tweet or Facebook or Instagram links to that stuff and and your followers are going to go there and be able to buy things. Um, and my question is, if you do something like that, is it devaluing your work? Um, because it is a real mass market outlet. Um, you know, you've got no control over the quality of the product. You're not even going to see the product before it goes to the, the customer. Um, so is that going to damage your brand? Um, there's a lot, but you know, there's lots of pros, but there are a few cons as well for that. And the alternative is, you know, kind of managing everything yourself. So you get an online store set up on your website, but then you, you know, you oversee the production of all uh, any products that you want to sell. 
and you package them up and you send them out to your to your customers, which gives you, you know, control and quality control, but is going to take up a big proportion of your time. I know quite a few artists who make well over a thousand dollars a month from Society Six. So they're obviously selling quite a good number of products if you're only making a couple of quid for a t shirt. But if you then try to if you then try to replicate that volume yourself, you wouldn't have time to produce any work because you'd be spend all your time um, packaging stuff up and at the queue in the post office. So there's got to be balance. You know, maybe use maybe I can use Society Six for weird stuff like yoga mats and um, coffee mugs, and then kind of my premium stuff would be prints and posters and sets of prints that I use uh, somewhere that I can oversee or kind of have control over quality. It's kind of where, it's kind of where I'm at at the minute, trying to work out what to do and how to make some money drawing well it's a nice problem to have isn't it the in in today's you know amazing fulfillment based <laughs> uh art world um, yeah in the fact that you can use uh u.s based fulfillment art print places yeah. um uh so that saves you uh obviously you're going to make a lot of money selling in america uh, at the moment yeah. Um, and, uh, it's about deciding what products that you want to sell really, isn't it? I mean, whether you want to have the thermos flask and the, I don't know what else they sell. What well, loads of stuff, don't they? Yeah, uh, anything. Flap, yeah. Branded cat flap. Um, so the first, what well, society six? Well, I don't know. I don't know what, what's the quality of the products like? Do they send you out a set of everything first? No, or, no, right. you don't see anything. And and do you sign over all of your art to them? No, is it an exclusive? You, no, uh, no, uh, you retain all control. Right. So it's a no brainer, isn't it? Really, um, it's just whether it, it does that fit in your moral compass in the uh, for the fact that you know you're going to be they're going to be churning out stuff that is you know has no worth really does it it's yeah. low it's low value i don't know what yeah. print is on society six or whatever well um, they do an art print special thing so you can specify i think a couple of different qualities of print and you can also set your price for art prints and you and, it, and that then changes the type of return that you get on it um but everything else yeah it's just you know, if you want your designs on a shower curtain, that's the shower curtain you'll get. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and you'll obviously make a lot more money. I mean, that would be a nice, that would be a nice drip feed, won't it? Well, that's it. I think, I think that's probably the way to go for stuff that maybe quality isn't that important about. I think prints, you know, if people are buying a print frame or a frame print, you know, to put on their wall you've got to have control over the quality and it's got to be a good product if it's on a, a eight dollar iphone case or a ten dollar mug or something then it doesn't matter as much does it no no it's all it's all down to what you what you want your brand how you want your brand to be perceived um, yeah i would i would probably you know you're i'm not going to speak for you but you know i would probably want if i was a 
really good illustration. When I was selling my products, I'd want control, utter control over the production value. So I'd want to know if if stuff was being sent out, what it would look like, or yeah. you know, and I'd want a sample of it. And the I'd problem with know. that is um, you're probably going to have to work with uh, a bunch of different suppliers. Yeah, and you're probably going to have to. Um, spend some money to get stuff done. Whereas that's the thing with Society 6, then there's no outlay. Yeah. But there's, but there, it's just a, a vast market because anyone can set up a store and sell their stuff. So you're next to yeah. people who are, I don't know, ripping off stuff or, uh, yeah, that does happen. Or, um, but that you're, you, you know, if you're, if you're a well-known illustrator or designer, your stuff's going to get ripped off, whatever. Um, but I imagine that's, that's going to make it worse, isn't it? That people are going to copy it on there and yeah. sell it on there. Um, yeah. do they protect their artists or? I know? think you have to contact them if you see something that's infringing your work and prove that it's infringing your work. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are really canny illustrators out there who's selling on every single channel whatsoever. Yeah. Cause I know that you can get, um, you can, you can get, uh, sort of aggregator shops. So, um, you get a, a system that will then tie together all of your separate shops into one admin okay. basis. So, you know, your society six, your Shopify, um, yeah. maybe Etsy, uh, and whatever other ones are, are out there can all be tied through into one feed so that you then know exactly where your sales are going and you can push, you know, the right kind of revenue for advertising or whatever you're going to do yeah. to, to, you know, to take advantage of the best selling stream of, of revenue, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. But you'd have to be selling serious amounts, I think, to make that to make that happen. Um, I, don't, I know that a company called Seventy Tree. Have you heard of them? No. Uh, I think they're a husband and wife team based down in Devon, producing beautiful posters, um, very Scandinavian style. Oh, do you know? I color. do know them. Right. So they 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 do they they might be one to look at. I think they use an aggregator, an aggregating storefront. Yeah. Um, so they're on. Etsy and I'm trying to think of desperately think of what the other one is that everyone buys from. Oh, not on the high street. Yes. Um, but I think, I think they're quite pro- tricky to get on, isn't it? Yeah. You've got um, to, yeah. So you have to sort of uh, curate it. Yes. I, I think we, you know, I think curated would be better, wouldn't it? Um, what's, what's Alex one he uses in America called? Oh, he uses imprint. Yeah. So that again, they're curated. Uh, oh, are they? And oh, okay. a, yes. So they're correct. Curated and voted a bit like, um, Oh, like type Thread, keys or threadless. threadless. Yeah, yeah, but but only to get you in in there. So you know, it's like okay. you have to be recommended. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but they they are, you know they're top quality. I think their stuff from from what I yeah, heard. Yeah, Alid actually recommended them to me today. So. Oh right, okay. Um. Uh. So yeah, I, I think Society Six is the Tesco of the art prints. Absolutely. It? Um, but it's a good way to gauge how popular your work is or what, re- what are really good sellers and maybe the ones that really sell well, then you want to get the best money out of. So you take them off and you sell them as better quality. Um, yeah. I mean, that's it. You can take stuff off as and when. Yeah. So you could use it as a little sort of test bed. For Definitely. Sleeping. Why not? It's free, isn't it? So there's no cost yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. There's no risk, is there? Apart from the value of, you know, of the perception of your work, but yeah, um, I, w- I don't think that that's um, going to be a problem to start with, is it? No, because I, your because your work's one-offs, and so therefore isn't freely available anywhere yeah. else anyway. Yeah, 
I mean, I think my inclination at the moment is is only to use it. For, it was to use it for everything but art prints, um, because I think that's something that I'm much keener on. Not putting anything out there that I haven't sort of had a good look at and I haven't got any control over. Yeah, um, so you know, I don't really care if a mug's a bit naff. Yeah, if it's got one of my pictures on it. No. So what's your what's your what are the alternatives that you you've got as an artist to sell to sell your stuff is to create your own store. Yeah, I mean, there's things like Big Cartel, yeah, Etsy, which, Shopify, Imprint, I guess, which you can all integrate into your site. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing Big Cartel, off the top of my head, that is a monthly fee, is it? Yeah, monthly fee and no, no, um, no, sir, no, no charges. Yeah, um, whereas Shopify is a monthly fee and a percentage of all sales. Well, it's not anymore, is it? Because you, it's, it'll be more expensive to run. But um, they, if you run your, if you run the payment system through Shopify Pay, um, uh, okay, you don't, you don't get charged commission. Oh, yeah. um, and basically their Shopify pay is based upon Stripe, which is right. this sort of bankless um, yes. merchant account system, which is really good. It works really well. It's about, you know, if you're in the UK or US or Australia, um, I don't know where else it's released now. Yeah. Um, I think the thing with Shopify is it's about three or four times the price of Big Cartel. Yeah. I don't think it's suitable unless you're selling tons of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, big yeah. cartels are good. Yeah, but you know, if I'm gonna have, if I'm gonna go to a, a supplier and get art print produced and then sent to me, then I'm gonna need a, a method of selling it. So I'm gonna need a website and I'm gonna need a a shop front. Um, so kind of after that, you, you know, when you've decided what you're gonna sell and how you're gonna sell it, it's like how do you market it? Um. Well, social media for me it's the obvious thing um particularly um instagram inktober for me has doubled my followers on instagram from nine and a bit to almost nineteen thousand in 25 days which has been bonkers and you think well that's kind of a perfect place to market it um you know, is it is it going to be enough just to to kind of have you know a link in your bio? Um, you, how often do you need to promote it by posting stuff about your site, or do you just mention it in your caption for every photograph? I guess after a while, people get used to kind of knowing where to go for your work. Um, and then once you've marketed it, you know how do you deliver it? You know, we've talked a bit about this and um, I, at the minute I send everything out with um, like a branded comp slip and I stamp, I've got a rubber stamp so I stamp the envelope and I've got little stickers that I stick the envelope down with um, and I usually throw a couple of badges in there with um, one of my little illustrations on and for me, those little freebies, if people are, you know, are, are going to then remember that they've bought from you and they're going to get that little smile when they open up the package and they're more likely to sort of tell their friends or tweet about it or stick it on Facebook. Um, and I think that's quite important for me that I 
kind of generate that feeling to connect with my work, which is something you obviously can't do if you're using something like Society6 um, because you you aren't involved in that um, part of the process. Yeah. I, in fact, I was hunting around for this yesterday because I was looking at um, packaging and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's an artist called Kevin Tong. Have you heard of him? Yes. Called Tragic Sunshine. Yeah. Uh, uh, he has some old, really old YouTube videos on packaging stuff up and you can watch what he does. But he drops a little badge and a little card in there. Yeah. Um, and another artist I was looking at put in, um, dropped in little pin badges and all yeah. that kind of stuff if, if it was loaded into the tube. Um, but he was packaging up huge amounts of prints. I think he seriously is somebody that you probably want to look at because he 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 kind of externalizes a lot of his process. Yeah. Um, and he's quite open, and he's he's obviously selling an absolute ton of of prints. Um, yeah, there's the the guy that created um, Inktober, Jack Parker. He's had a, you know he's got a bunch of books out, and he sells prints and things. Um, and he when he launches a new book, he he tends to kind of sit on the orders for a week and then he gets uh he gets like half a dozen people around to his house for a day right. <laughs> and they package everything up but he's you know he's selling you know a thousand in a week yeah well someone like ollie moss i mean he's knocking yeah. over web servers when his posts yeah. are coming online i yeah. think he's got some new harry potter ones out hasn't he, he has yeah beautiful things um yeah um, but how does he do it how does he it's done by fulfill other people that. yeah yeah, I guess I guess when you get to a certain certain volume of stuff, you can afford to pay someone else to do it, can't you? Yeah, and you can afford to pay the best. Um, mm. He uses some seriously good people. I mean, I, I know Ali, Ali uh, you know, he he sells serious amounts of posters. Yeah, um, and yeah, I think he he he, uh, he definitely packages his stuff up himself because I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. I've seen his flat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think in the he he you know he jumps he jumps across to Atlantic by using American services, which sounds really sensible to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look into imprint. <clears throat> so, like pricing a print, um, I know we're going way over our time here, but we're going to have to, aren't we? Got a lot. To yeah, do, got a lot to get through. But pricing a print, I mean, you know, I've spoken about it before. You know, you selling in originals um, should be priced way above what a what an inkjet print should cost you. Yeah, shouldn't they? Um, and if you've got, I, you know, I think uh, you know, if you've got a style that suits it, then screen printing is the way forward because it just looks so, you know, and it feels authentic as a print. Whereas an inkjet yeah. print is kind of, you know, as a, you can say gicle, um, you know, till the cows come home. But at the end of the day, it's just going through a bubble jet printer. Yeah. Um, so it's about deciding what's what's the difference between a twenty-five run, a fifty run. Uh, uh, you know, indefinite run of inkjet print, prints and the original. Um, you know, I yeah, think. I think I think in some ways, once you start producing prints, you can then push up the price of your originals. Partly because it kind of invests them with with more value. Yeah, um, and partly because um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. So the perceived quality of of an original is in increased because you produce inkjet versions I, of it yeah i think so um because I, th- I think there's a minimum price isn't there for a for a print you know there's a minimum price that you're going to go down to but, and uh, and, and it's a price that everyone's going to pay my pie has just been delivered by ah. my delightful assistant thank you dear 
got curtsy then. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I know. Um, so the, the value of the original is is increased because there's a minimum price that you can sell a print for. Uh, and I think, you know, that's a price that everyone's kind of going to accept. And that's going to allow you to kind of um, perhaps not push up the value of your original artwork, but it's going to allow you to sell it for what it's actually worth. And because then you're not just relying on original artwork as your revenue stream, you know, you know, your, the vast majority of your income then is going to be through prints. Yeah. Um, you can afford to, to not have to sell them for, you know, whatever. Um, you can, you, you know, they don't have to be sold as soon as you've done them. They can, they can sit quite happily until someone comes along that really wants it. Um, and pay, <clears throat> and pay you what it's worth. Yeah. So if you, I've been looking into prices of, you know, a size, you know, a, mm. a sized paper. So if you take an A3 um, art print, you can probably produce that for, you know, you can get it, you can buy it off a printer for, let's say, £12. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to want to sell it for probably double that. Because you've yeah. got your, um, and then you've got your postage on top of that, etc. Et exactly, and so, then, you know, postage is going to be, you know, five or six quid probably, yeah. um, and your packaging materials are going to be another two or three quid, um, if you include, you know, a bit of tissue paper to wrap around it, the, the parcel tube, you throw in a couple of badges and a couple of stickers, then I think, yeah, doubling that price, twenty five quid <laughs> for a for a good quality A three print. Um, which you can sign, obviously, and make them uh, uh, give them that kind of um, authenticity. Um, that's the word. Um, <laughs> Are you sure that's not sixteen percent that beer? <laughs> um, but that all creates more of a value to it, doesn't it? That, you know how it's packaged, the quality of the print, how it's packaged, the freebies, signing it, um, and I, I guess as well, there's a a reciprocal thing, isn't it? If if you sell a print for a certain price, that allows you to push up the price of your original. But if you, again, if your original is 150 quid, then that allows you to sell a print for for a, a better price, doesn't it? Yeah, I think if you're if you're saying okay, this print, this you know, this design took me X and amount of hours to produce, and I've got to make that back because that's my business model. You're you're yeah. going to drive yourself absolutely insane um i think that you've got to let go of the time thing and think about yeah i'm selling 50 limited edition prints i'm selling yep. certain amount of postcards and i'm selling the original and that should make me enough for the week it took me to put together you know um, yeah. or you know that my bank balance looks increasingly healthy mm. um rather than chasing the time thing because i've definitely you know j just going back to the switching back to graphic design i'm I'm abandoning the time, uh, the time way of pricing. Um, and I've been really successful the last couple of months. I haven't done, I've hardly done any kind of timesheets. Uh, it's all based on cost up front, um, yeah. perceived value to the client. Um, That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really, really is important. I tell you what though, we should get, um, I should really speak to Alan and get him on the show. Uh, yeah. to talk about uh, if he will um i'm talking to you alad lewis if you're listening um uh, and see if he'd come on the show and, and answer some of the questions uh because he you know he's made a successful career um and he's really well known 
Yeah, he's doing really well. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll give him a shout um, and see if we can get an, him on soon and just do a little sort of catch up of the of this of this topic. Could be grand. Um, so the plan is then to start selling some products. It is. Yeah, I'm um, excited to see them. Um, have you got an idea of what they're going to be? Um, well, I'm definitely going to produce prints of the Inktober um, little isometric buildings. Yeah, I'll pick kind of maybe half a dozen of the of my favourite ones or the ones that have proved most popular, and I think I'll produce prints of those and maybe a set of postcards. So like six postcards with a different building on each one. Um, and I'm definitely going to do a, like a bigger print featuring all 31. Yeah. Um, which I think will look nice. I think it'll look amazing. Um, uh, so that's kind of my starting point. Well, you need to go and see a printer about this, don't you? Um, yeah. Fancy meeting for lunch tomorrow. Oh, yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking forward to uh, our little um, field trip. Yeah, well, I've got some sample papers and bits and bobs, so I'll bring oh, them along. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, I'll get to fondle your stock. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, we're meeting up in Compton for lunch tomorrow, and we're going to go see the Watts Memorial Chapel, which I spoke about a few weeks ago when we were talking about places, um, which you haven't seen, have you? No, you haven't I haven't. No. Yeah, so that's going to be exciting. Pie. Pie. Right, I'm going to go first because mine's getting really cold. It's a, okay. mine's a um, a chicken uh, a chicken pot pie, and uh, it's been bought from Botel's Farm Shop in East Tidstead, which is a village just yonder. Um, it's uh, it's made by a, a lady there, and they're a big. It's uh, it's it's very dry. Um, inside, it's like a chicken stew inside. Right. Pastry is not bad. I mean, I'm absolutely starving. It's under-seasoned, as my wife has been texting me throughout this show. You heard the dinging going on. Yeah. Um, but um, it's not bad. It's got potatoes in it. Is that what you think? It's a chicken and potato, but that's a bit weird, weird. isn't it? Yeah. Weird I do potato. like a bit of potato in pie. But, do you? Um, yeah, well, you know, like a pasty. Yeah. Quite good in a pasty. No, no, but, this, yeah. is a, this is half a new potato. Ooh, intriguing. Yeah. Um, um not 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 um you know mind blowing, but not yeah. not awful. Um are you, are you washing it down a five? Are you washing it down with anything? Yeah, uh, I've got uh, an up and brewery punter, uh, which is a well, I think they're in Wiltshire, but it says it says it's a, a Hampshire craft ale, but I don't think they are based in Hampshire. I think they're in mm-hmm. Wiltshire. But um yeah, they they're a nice beer. Yeah. Uh well I'm drinking a um uh, an Abbeville White uh, right. from the Belleville Brewing Company. Don't know where they're based. London somewhere. Um, and it's six percent, and it's a little sort of Hogarden-y-ish. Well, that'd be France, uh, wouldn't of, it? Abbeville. Kind of, oh, is it? Of course, yeah. But it says uh, beers from over there, but from here or something. Oh, uh, right. Beers from over there, brewed over here. So it says it's a, like a French-style white beer. Um. Nice, but uh, but of it, and it's very nice. It's not that white, you know. Her garden's got that almost sort of sickly-ish bubble gum. Yeah, it hasn't got that. So it's quite nice. But um, I'm having a spiced cauliflower spinach and lentil pie from Armstrong's in St Margaret's, and I've 
I've enjoyed every single one of their pies that I've had. But I don't normally go vegetarian. And the guy, the butcher, said to me, it's a bit like a samosa. And it does smell like a samosa, that kind of spinachy, cauliflowery, spiced um, sort of Indian flavours. Well, really good. It's like a traditional pie, chocolate pastry, beautifully crisp, sprinkled with uh, kind of black onion seeds on top. And really nice, sort of delicately spiced, not sort of hot spicy, just really sort of flavoursome. <clears throat> that sounds um, great. I love a bit of cauliflower. Yeah, really, really good. Um, really moist. So that's getting a seven. That's mm-hmm. nice, getting an eight. Oh, what? It's a good pie. Armstrong's are smashing it, aren't they? They really are. Mm. Yeah, that's delicious. Mm, good pie. Jolly good. Well, well, it's been quite a long one this week. Uh, it was, we... but you can probably edit out 40 minutes of me losing track of what I was saying. <laughs> so, yeah. So this week we've been talking about setting up your own product line, um, how to do it. We've been asking questions, really. Um, mm. So if you've got any answers or tips or whatever, then please send them through Twitter. Yeah, if you're raking or- in tens of thousands of pounds a month through through your uh, art prints then let's know how yeah uh, and um and we look forward to seeing how you do it and hearing how you do it so um and we look forward to seeing how rob gets on with it you have to come back yep. and tell us i will <laughs> you know if it all goes well then um i'll be talking to you from some exotic climbs yeah <laughs> i'll just be dialing in Barnsley. dialing in from the bahamas <laughs> oh, yeah Well, it's been a a delight as ever, John. You too, and uh, I will see you tomorrow, no doubt. Will do. All right, then, take care. Good night. Bye.